Welcome to Daily Discussions. I'm your host, Isaac Harrison. This is a podcast on social entrepreneurship. We pretty much talk to people all over the country about doing business for good and helping out their community, wherever that may be. Um, and today's actually a very special uh, podcast, and we'll have a few of these over the next uh, coming weeks. And we're interviewing uh, other mob out there involved in agriculture, farming, uh, land holdings, bush farming, agrivoltaics, solar, everything. So we're really excited to uh, bring all different people from out the country or close to the city that are sharing their adventures and, and journeys and, and sort of restoring country, uh, you know, bush foods, everything, anything to sort of improve the, the daily lives of the community around them. And today we actually have uh, Jeanette and David from, you'll have to tell me where it's from because I still can't pronounce that part of the country. <laughs> Very well. But if you want to uh, open up and sort of share where your mob's from and where you guys are situated, and then just tell a bit about, about your background. Okay. Thanks, Isaac. My name is Jeanette Crew. This is my husband, David. Um, we're located down in Denilaquin, um, which is um, southwest New South Wales. We're on Wamba Wamba Perapa Perapa country and um, at this stage, obviously, pay my respects to my elders past, present and future. Um, yeah, I, did you want to add anything at this well, stage? Well, I think we could. what we could do is start out where our journey began. Um, yeah, where, that'd be where anybody can when the time is. But um, um, Jeanette, um, well, Jeanette can talk about a very early life here in this area. From Wemba Wemba, is that traditionally your mob? Did you grow up on yeah. that part of country? This is my, yes, this is my father's country. Um, yep. He was born and raised here and um, um, spent the, my earliest memories um, on a mis mission down yeah, called wow. Munakala, which is about 50 k's northwest of Deniloquin. Um, but when we were nine, we were moved into, into town. That was, you know, during the change. Yeah. Well, um, um, in, with government policy. And, um, so we were, so that was changed from, um, well, to assimilation. Yeah. Changed to assimilation. What, and I guess. What was that like? It was yeah. just like overnight someone turns up from the government says, all right, pack your bags or you're all moving to the, the big smoke. Is that sort of how it went? Well, kind of as a nine-year-old kid at the time, it that's what it felt like. But yep. um, I know now that the adults knew about um, the houses being built in town on the edge of town, yeah, of course. Okay. Yep. Um, and there was a lot of debate, I guess, about uh, who was going to move and who wasn't. But um, all of a sudden, this big truck turned up and everyone had to have all their furniture outside the front gate. Oh, my gosh. And everything was loaded onto the truck and we were put into a covered trailer, the kids, oh <laughs> and my driven gosh. into town with the truck. So, yeah, so it went around dropping off the furniture to the to the houses. Yeah. Um, that That's to incredible. Live in. So that was in, that was in 1961. Yeah. Um, and obviously started school in town, so we went to a one-room school on the mission. 
Yep. Um, I kind of enjoyed school, but once we got into town, it was a different story altogether because... Yeah, of course. Um, not only, well, not only was there debate in the Aboriginal community out there, um, there was a very um, heated discussion going on in town, I guess, about where these black fellows were going to be located and what schools they were going to go to. And um, yep. there goes, there goes the, the neighbourhood, they would say. Yeah, They're yeah. probably worried about the neighbourhood <laughs> being they, ruined. <laughs> well, they decided that they didn't, um, well, I think mostly the parents decided they didn't want black kids at the school. At yeah, their wow. school, so um, we coped with, I guess, a lot of um, rejection, um, fighting on the way to school and on the way home, and um, yep. for the first at least twelve months before we actually uh, started um, playing games with the other kids. So all our lunch times and recesses were about a little bit about survival and I guess getting home. Um, yeah, wow. But we worked our way through that. I guess that was would have been the first time I experienced racism and I actually didn't know what that was. It was, you know, couldn't understand what, what, what was happening at the time. That's incredible. Um, um, in the 60s, Arnie, the Maori yeah. Baths, was that... Around that yes. same time, you were just, just yeah just before that um, yep. we moved in. That was about sixty five or something, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the freedom rides happened around then. Yeah. Um, it was um, it was quite an eye opener. We didn't obviously as a kid we didn't understand any of that. We didn't know what yeah. was going on, and because we didn't have to um, deal with that before. We really didn't know how to yeah. because we didn't know what it was. But um, yeah. look, having said that, I really liked school. Um, I liked it when we were in class. Um, you know, it was, um, I guess, two different experiences. Like, <laughs> enjoyed myself in class yeah. and then not so, not so much outside. But, yeah. Um, yeah, through that, went to high school here. And then after I left school, um, I went to Sydney. Yeah. So um, one of the things we also can connecting in that period is later in the year. So in, in 2012, we were able to have, get access to some interviews, um, um, household interviews that was done by a geographer in 1965. Wow. Yeah. And in those interviews, she was comparing the economic um, differences between different communities in New South Wales. So she yep. interviewed people in Daniloquin, Griffith, Cowra and Coffs Harbour yep. and was interested in their economic and, and um, well-being. Um, yep. That's what she was looking at in different places where different economic systems were. And yep, in that study in 1965, Daniloquin community was regarded as the, the highest number of um, women employed, wow. the highest number of men employed, the highest number of kids in school, and the highest income of those yep. communities. Um, but That's we then incredible. reflected so, back 50 years later, we did a review and found out that our community had had slipped back 
to being yeah. of those communities. Yeah. It was now the poorest, the less employed, the less going to school. So all yeah. the indicators have gone backwards over that 50-year period when yeah. communities were dominated by what government policy was doing. And, so, and those communities, Arnie, like before you sort of moved, what was like the main industry? Like was dad working? So I've got obviously Kanaka heritage. So my grandfather yeah. and his grandfathers, they either cut cane or built railroads and were paid in rations and stayed around, you know, mm. the Sunshine Coast, Wide Bay area, um, even as far as Cairns and towns. Or what was the main industry out there before the move? Well, <clears throat> Main industry was um, farming, grazing. Yep. Um, um, my father was a um, shearer, and a lot of the men at the time were shearers as well. Yep. Um, and then shearers got a pretty good deal because they belonged to the union and they got the same rate of pay as all the other shearers. Yeah, yeah. So they were quite well looked after in that that way but when they weren't shearing they were working on the nearby properties yeah um and i remember talking to someone who was a little kid during that time and she remembers her father um um not paying the workers all of their pay but keeping some back yeah and she talked giving it to you know the mothers which i doubt that ever happened so yeah um you know so when they were shearing they were getting the same pay but when they were laborers they weren't yeah of course um, I, I know there's a difference like with the kanaka heritage and the aboriginal heritage that i have kanakas yeah. were treated very different from how um yeah. the aboriginal torres strait islanders were treated in yeah. some cases my aboriginal side would just pretend that they were south sea islanders um to avoid a lot of the issues um, with yeah. all that policy and look, this community, we have some people here who did the same thing, pretended that yep. they were Maori. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they didn't have to deal with yep. deal with the issues the rest of us dealt with. Yeah. Um, That's sort of the what Jeanette was talking about growing up in that family that worked. Yeah. There was always an independent streak in that family. We go back into Jeanette's family history yep. and find every generation has stood up to authority every generation has charted their own tried to chart their own future um yep. and so that's how Jeanette's family were raised um and so always interested in being involved in economic development but had very little opportunity to do that um yeah when the community was really caught up in social services and and welfare type um yeah. relationships yep um, and with the mission and the reserves and the and the then the, what was in town and what was the relationships there, so when we came back in, oh, back in the nineteen eighties when this really yeah, started, wow. yeah, um, you want to tell that story about when you were with the land council and the fish farm? Well, well, before the fish farm, Arnie, uh, to clarify, when you were moved, whereabouts were you moved to? When you were first moved in when the sixties, first moved. Yeah, where did they move you to? To Sydney? Um, the outskirts of town, um, yeah. no, to Denelequin. Yeah, okay, to Denelequin, yeah. And um, <clears throat> went to a local school there. And at some stage, um, so when I was in high school, 
um, the teacher noticed that I wasn't seeing the, the blackboard very well. Yep. So at the time I was about, you know, middle of the class type yeah. rating and, uh, and I went and had my eyes tested. Um, the school inspector sort of made an appointment at the local optometrist and yep. I ended up with glasses and then I suddenly realised how short I was because the ground <laughs> yeah. was so much closer. <laughs> but the other thing, I could see the board and, of course, my work picked up and... Um, that year I won the most improved student of the year award. So I went yeah, from wow. you know the middle of the class to amongst the top, but you know, not necessarily the top. Yeah. Um I think that's almost cheating though, and, isn't it? Because you couldn't see. And then yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's, a, it's a conscious thing because there were other members of the community that were stolen from here. Yep. Um and lost that opportunity to be in the community. Um, yep. And in the same thing, Jean, Jeanette, one of Jeanette's cousins was talking about when he was twelve, he was yep. the top of his class. Um, he could see he was, uh, you know, knew that he knew that process. And when he came, and he was then stolen at twelve, oh, wow. um, and put into went to. Um, so they would uh, identify potential because you were sort of about that assimilation, like they were mm. identifying people that would, you know, be more white and assimilate. No, no, or just not. They just wanted, yeah. Wow, the reverse. They just took them. And um, when when he came back to the community and he gave a talk just a few years ago, and said, "What potential did you take? Did you take me away from? If I was the top of the class, I look around at all the people that I was at school with, and I see what role they play in the community and what they're doing and what they're earning and what they're making money. What did you take away from me by taking me away?" So in a way, it's, it's, yeah, institutional. That's like an actual example of institutional racism where the institution discriminates, similar with the blackbirding, they discriminate against a class of people because they can't have them go up in society where they have a level of influence, which will eventually, and what we're seeing now, come back to bite people because we want to talk about uh, history and everyone's like no 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 sweep it under the rug it's, you know, what's uh, mm. wasn't my fault wasn't my answer you know i wasn't there you know that's all the excuses being thrown up and you it's know, like well well you know um we often heard john howard talk about how he didn't do this he didn't see any reason why he should say he was sorry but you know yep. that was still happening when he was in parliament yep that's you know, incredible so up to the seventies, um, wasn't it? Up to the seventies. Yes, yes. And it also talks about the language as we look, and everybody, uh, you know, we look at the economy of this country, and yep. we look at the uh, money that people has made out of the land that they stole. Um, yeah. You know, people, it was started off with stealing land, and now yep. it's become. I know, David. Wealth. It was acquired, David. You know, <laughs> it was inherited. Inverted commas. Um, I think that's one I hear all the time is, yeah, they just sort of, oh, well, who gave it to you? Oh, well, granddad had it. Who gave it to granddad? Yeah. Uh, his granddad had it. Who gave it to great great granddad? And it just goes yeah, back right. to the crown. So eventually you stop mm. that. And I think that's what we're seeing with the coronation is a lot of our mob have become educated to go, well, hang on a second. Yeah. Like you've benefited from all these Commonwealth nations, India, you know, New Zealand here and, you know, Canada with the First Nation people there. And there's been no direct acknowledgement of that. You know, you sit upon a throne that's of wealth because it was 
acquired land. I think they well, actually call it the acquired well, land acts. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, you'll also look at India and what the British Empire did to India, where they took the wealth out of the country. They they occupied yeah. the country, took the wealth out and left, leaving poverty. Um, yep. And it was a vibrant and active and, and effective economy um, that India had before the British came. And yep. by the time the British left, they, they'd stripped it of everything. And in fact, that's a good, it's an example of what that colonialism pro, pro, process does. Yeah. Um, it strips people of everything. So this kind of led to trying to look at some, that involvement in local economy. Yeah. Um, and so that's and the, you just come back to country. Then, so. Yep. Yeah. So tell me more. So you've come back to country and where does it start? So I've gone back to country recently. Yeah, so, and, uh, so before, after I left school, um, that year I won the um, Most Improved Student Award. Um, the local Lions Club decided they would sponsor me to go through school. So they, you know, paid my fees, yep. bought my textbooks, bought my uniforms, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I only went through to year 10 because everyone else my age had already left and they were already yeah. out, you know, working in Melbourne, basically, you know, in factories yeah. and stuff. Um, and I decided to go to Sydney, so that's where I went. And um, um, I was there for a number of years before I came back home and I got married and had a family. Um, that obviously broke down. Um, well, I don't know why I said obviously, but it did. <laughs> but, um, I would have just assumed uh, David. Was... <laughs> uh, well, Jeanette, I'm her second husband, but um, yeah. we've been together for over 40 years yeah. now. Wow. Yeah. So um, eventually I went back to Sydney to work. Um, um and I did that for a number of years. So there was a lot of toing and froing between Denolequin and and um, yep. um, Sydney. And then when the Land Rights Act came out, I came down to do some training for the office people here yep. and ended up um, being asked to be the coordinator for a little while. Yeah. Um, and during that time, we I tried to get them to um, the members to agree to setting up a fish farm. And of course, back then, no one was talking about farming fish. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, we could lead the we could lead the you know the market on this. So, you know, and everyone likes their fish. So um, that's true. Anyway, they they didn't kind of want to go for that because the whole land council system was brand new. Yeah. No one really understood the whole deal. Yeah. Um, and basically, I don't think they saw themselves as business owners. Yeah, that's a great um, point. And yeah, it's and it's still a very scary thing. You know, they say more than eighty percent of of um, local family businesses don't succeed. So yeah, it's a it's a scary thing to go through. So um, anyway. My, the time that I took off from the public service um, where I was, was running out. So I said, okay, well, I'll come back and I'll do it myself. So yeah, <laughs> that was the idea of coming back at the end of um, 
1999, I managed to get another job here in Donaliquin and bought, um, sold the house in Sydney and bought the farm. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and the farm is, farm is about 10 kilometres from Minicover. Yeah, yep. so it's almost back to where I started. <laughs> so 1999, that was um, the even, year before the world ended. So did you leave Sydney before the year 2000? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you say that. I used to think it was going to do when I was a kid. I didn't know where it was going to go after 1999. Um, but, yeah. So Jenny's, one, one of Jenny's uncles um, visited us on at the farm in those early years. And yep. Jenny... Uh, to him so what do you think and he had a very cheeky look on his face he turned to her and said this is the boss's house this, is, <laughs> this was the house he he used to go and get his um shearers checks from oh wow so he really chuffed that his niece had bought the boss's house that's amazing i've seen that i've yeah. seen that's a story in america i think with the plantations some of the african-americans yeah. are buying back the old plantation homes and saying like yeah. we've we own yeah. the plantation now, you know, it's like yeah. a full circle. But it also set up some confusion because at the very same year or the next year, yeah, the Indigenous Land Corporation bought another family of property. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. Not far from where we are. And there was an assumption that the Indigenous Land Corporation had bought us this property. So it wasn't yeah, genetic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah money it was government yeah. money and people had to stand up in meetings and go no <laughs> net and david put their own money to buy their property yeah. it wasn't so the, the curry the murray curry grapevine was full swing back in those days just as oh, it is now absolutely yeah. and there are still people around who, who um still think that but you know, <laughs> wow <laughs> it doesn't bother me that they think Thank that um, um despite the fact you know like I'd probably like to get a bit of credit for actually doing that myself rather than... Oh, of course, yeah. You know, um, it wasn't handed to me. Yeah, I think that's um, something we've had to overcome too because as we've all gone and the generations have gone on, ownership or home ownership, business ownership still is a bit of a, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want big note myself and I don't want to, you know, show you off. Know, that's, you know, that's that's shame. And we're still yeah. trying to, like, peel that back as, like, no, no, it's, we own this land. We've managed it for thousands of years. Absolutely. And um, it's one of the things I said to um, National Park. So recently um, we've gone through a process negotiating with the state government to give us back the Wirai Forest, which is just near Munakala. Um, yeah. One of the things that was said to me was, oh, you know, um, we have to make sure that the Aboriginal community knows how to look after this, yep. you know, how to manage property. Wow. <laughs> I said, who do you think looked after it for the first 65,000? <laughs> you, yep. you know, like. Yeah, we forgot. We're just on phones and tablets now, you know, we're all in the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, so I went back to Sydney to take up my, my job again um, um, and that was when we purchased the house um, we were in yep. um, and that's the one that we sold at the end of the, that stay yep. um, to buy Clara. So, um, and we thought then that we would be getting into fish farming yep. but we then was observing some of the community processes that were happening in town, yeah, okay. which really yeah. was very disturbing 
um, in terms of people's connections and people's strength in their own identity and how yep. they were playing a role in the local community. So we got sort of got sidetracked for 20 years uh, yeah. <laughs> doing community development. And um, we, we actually started where we're sitting right now is at Yapua Indigenous Knowledge Centre, which was about yep. the foundation of bringing knowledge back to the community, caring for yep. that knowledge and using that to build strength in the community. So we're yeah. now 20 years old and we employ 15 people, 15, 16 people on a range yeah. of different programs. Yeah, um, and so that kind of took us away from our own economic development. Yeah. But now the opportunity with um, the yeah. Murray-Darling uh, Murray Economic Development Program yeah. Yeah. and Outback Academy, we were yeah. able to um, go through a process of saying, well, we have we do own our land, so our decision making for that land is basically with Jeanette and I. Yeah, over. So we can decision what we do. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah. And I like the fact yeah, that you've sure. had that ownership in your life before. Um, that's sort of like how it gives you that understanding. And I, I think noting that what you just said about spending time in community, it's so hard, I think, as black fellas, like you're sort of going along and you see another brother or sister in need. And then you get, you get sidetracked. I know my my nana and that was, they love the Salvation Army and they would just do anything for the parades, for the events, for the creche, for the uh, Sunday school. And that was like such an involvement and a calling. And, and if it involved other community members, they were there every time. They were driving the, the old Toyota High Ace to pick up everyone, <laughs> bring them down on a Friday night for, for youth group and stuff. And so I was very blessed. I still grew up in that sort of like my parents would say, well, isn't there a cause, you know, isn't there a reason for us to keep helping mob? Because I look at then I had 10 kids and I got 50 something cousins and a lot of those were part of those, you know, close the gap numbers. They didn't make it, though. they didn't make it all the way that some incarcerated, some didn't. And I was very blessed to have my upbringing. And so I always feel a pull to sort of help out when there's a need. So I put, I completely understand when he said, oh, 20 years and people listening like 20 years, what? How did you do that? And I was like, you know, the years they just blend in and you just keep going and people's oh, lives absolutely. are changed. And yeah. Well, it's it's they've done 20 years. We're now just literally sitting in a our final um in, in our permanent home in Denolican for our centre. Yep. Um so we've just literally just moved in and about to do some renovations. So that's that's kind of a little bit of a sidetrack, but it allows us to to learn from all the work we've been doing over the last 20 years. Yeah about really being strong in our knowledge that from that 50-year project, we could actually see that when communities are excluded from the economics of their location, yeah. then their health and well-being drop yeah. substantially. But how do we shift the narrative? And the only way to do that, we thought, was to actually demonstrate what we're doing yeah so not just not just say the words but actually demonstrate in, in in a reality so we've looked at offering our property up as basically a demonstration site for what could be what could be done might yeah. Be. yeah 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 that opportunity think, yeah. to actually see in 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 reality of what could yeah people could do and that knowledge so, i think you're saying piecing it back together because it's been so fragmented You've spent twenty years, pretty yeah, much, bringing not, all the stories, yeah. but not not disconnecting from culture, 
Yeah. So we have our own cemetery on our property. Yeah. Um, so we have members of Jeanette's family who wanted to be buried on our property. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that's that that's that's maintained. Well, it's it just was right for them to be on there, and that's where we'll end up yeah. going. So yeah. it's anchoring in this is this is culture and economics are not separate things. They're actually yeah. They're ingrained together. Well, culture is economics, isn't mm. it? And yeah. it, it describes how we survived and what we did to survive. And one of the things that dawned on us during that um, um, 20 years is that we actually did our business in family groups. Yeah. And, um, you know, we lived in family groups. We did our business in family groups and we traded you know, back and forth and all that sort of um, stuff. We survived as family groups. So perhaps Certainly. that's where we should be looking. So when you do a whole of community thing, yep. it actually divides um, people's interests because different parts of the community have interests in different things. So you've got school education, environmental, cultural, yep. they're all like... <laughs> And health, so you see, they kind of become a family thing. So, and that sort of struck a bit more in that you know we do do work better as families, as family yep. groups. So, one of the things we're looking to do is, uh, you know, through the Outback Academy and that process, um, using the fair trade principles, um, yep. that we can actually. If we can get the uh, you know each family to um, set up their own business and contribute to the to the economics or their own economics and become yep. socially and economically independent from government, I guess, so that yep. you know um, they can like with, with the Outback Back Academy, we're going to be doing honey we're going to be producing honey yeah beautiful for yep. for western australia and we can if we can get some families here to also do honey yeah um you know another income for them um but beautiful, we're looking so. at you know native flowers and um whole range of other things that we can do um through the wirai forest so yeah beautiful so we've got a so we have a vision that connects with the work we're doing with our local schools to build the next yep. generation stronger. Yep. With our work at Yakwa, which is about a culture centre and a knowledge centre and a place where we have Indigenous ranger programs, we've got language programs, culture, a range of things. Then we look at our farm, which is 30 k's out of town, which will yep. be a demonstration of side of what can be achieved. And then, then a further 10 kilometres from there is the Wirai Forest, which is 13,000 hectares of yeah, um, wow. red gum and, and uh, well, box country and with with cemeteries there that are over 10,000 years old. Oh, wow. So are you able to access that forestry as well? Are you able to access that forestry? Sorry? Are you able to access the forestry? Yes. Yeah, beautiful. It's it's about it's about to be handed back to us yep. in freehold title. Um, so we will have access to that too actually generate these um, local family businesses 
yep. to operate out of there with um, all the things that are consistent with what we want to do in terms of managing it, you know, for conservation, for cultural protection, for environmental yep. outcomes, uh, and social outcomes and, and educational outcomes. So we're looking to have, um, you know, our own botanist and our own, um, you know, marine biologists and all that sort of stuff that, that will actually help us manage the forest in a different way. And yep. we have to remind ourselves and others that we can't manage it the same way anymore because... That's right, yeah. Well, back then we, we didn't have noxious weeds or feral animals or um, yeah, all the right. sorts of things with now so we do have to manage it differently yeah um but Better both those worlds. things because it's yeah we have to use both methodologies to actually um get it to work properly yeah beautiful now who's going to be um, putting on the bee suit <laughs> <laughs> that'll be david because i won't be able to we expect to employ younger fitter people to do that um, yeah but we have our own we, so so basically when we started looking seriously about what we wanted to produce at our farm yeah and what that meant and seeing that um Jeanette, um through a different process we um developed a salt bush relish so it actually oh, a, a, a jar which i have one He's going to hunt one down. He's going to go. <laughs> he's going to harvest. Going to harvest it in real time. Um, yeah. So oh, this is this is the this is the relish saltbush relish. Oh, nice. Arnsdale Farm. Yep. So and that's our own honey spinner. So that's our that's one of our income streams. Yep. Um That is is under our development. Yeah. Um, and it was important for us when we're talking to local people to actually. Have something that's tangible. So yep, this that's this product so is a yep. is something in hand that says this was produced on our farm and we oh, sell yes. it and we can sell it and we've yeah. got a market for it. I think that's so clever because that's, that's I think a, a mob. Yeah, talk about it. But if you can show, yeah. hey, listen, like this is you can eat this right now. Well, you know, this is how you use it's it. It's visible. Yeah, it's visible. You can touch it. You can pick it up. You can eat it. <laughs> you can come and watch it being produced even. That's amazing. Um, and hopefully that will that will encourage people to go, I could do that too. Yeah. I can why not? produce something. Yeah, it's good if for it country too. Honey, um, well that's honey it is. it's a good money spinner, I can tell you. Yeah. Um, with <laughs> all the issues we're having around the, and um, pollination of yep. Bees, not yep. just fruit trees, but Crops and mm. you know mm. a whole range of things that, without bees, we're mm. not going to get any food. That's right. That's right. Um, before so, you said no, about no, the will. farm, how did you know? Like, obviously, it's like daunting if someone's like, "Here's twenty hectares or acres. What am I going to do with this? Where would you start? Like, did you have some port, someone to go through and map out what you can grow and how you should grow it, or you just sort of just tried a few things? What well, what we'd look to do is um, um, enhance what's endemic. Um, yep. And, of course, that would go towards rehabilitating a lot of our land that's been destroyed. Yeah, wow. So some of our um, yep. 
some of our native foods don't grow on farms anymore. Yeah. Um, and we need to actually get them back into the environment. Um, yep. But one of the things I expect will be, we can happen with um, with the Wirai is if if a family wanted to do grow native flowers, for example, that are endemic to the to our area, yep. um, they can they can lease you know ten or twenty hectares of the forest to yeah, do that wow. in. Yep. You know, and um, it's still growing those flowers is still consistent with conservation and um, yep. good land management. Um, with the native you know, um, ones like saltbush, um, Arnie, like saltbush, is there yeah. like, are you using pesticides or do you have to use anything uh, like fertilise anything or is it just sort of off, off no. it goes because it's, it's natural to the land? Well, one of the things is um, Australia's soil is very bland. It's very, very old soil. Yeah. And the native vegetation here um, has become accustomed to that. Yeah. Um, and they don't like fertilisers. So you're not yeah. going to be spending money on fertilisers um, and, you know, you're not going to be spending money on pesticides and Yep. And that sort of stuff. So some really bad stuff, maybe, you know, we we often have problems with um box storm. Yeah, and bathysburg. And so some <laughs> yeah, of those wow. noxious weeds might be out. But as little as possible. Um, so and, and as Janet said, we're allow, allowing regeneration on our property. Yeah. So the property was dynam trees on the property were dynamited in the nineteen seventies wow. to grow rice. Wow. So we've let, um, since we've had it in this 20 odd years, we've just, we've allowed natural um, regeneration. So yeah. so let the trees expand their, their, across where they're going. And of course, when um, when natural, every they grow much better when they choose where to grow than when I plant them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we've had a lot of, a lot of trees, um, um, deciding to grow right in the middle of the millennium drought so wow they obviously made an assessment that they could cope there yeah and they did so we've got a, a lot of a lot of a lot of our new trees yep. seeded. yeah mm. it's like pink so we're allowing nature house, and, and grows everywhere yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, i don't want it there oh, but oh well yeah <laughs> it's very pretty so, so that working with yeah sorry you go david yeah oh sorry it was just then working in partnership with outback academy and the murray um, economic development plan was also yeah. linked into what we know is called the um uh tri-state alliance which was yeah. coming together of the nrm agencies in new south wales victoria and south australia yep so they came and one of their objectives was to look at economic development on indigenous owned land yep. so to map out the indigenous owned land across that look across the murray valley really and yep. look at those farmers or those owners who would want were looking at developing economic um out, outputs or outcomes um and would volunteer so it's a volunteer sort of process that people say that this and so we, we yep. were very um, keen to look at what that would look like, and so we were. We've actually became 
foundation members of the yeah awesome. of the um Murray group. Rest Alliance, mm. yeah. Yeah, so that's and and then then recognised that we didn't have all the knowledge we needed. Yeah, of course. So yeah. we've been able to draw in um, a local consultant, um, yep. an agriculturalist consultant that was able to work with us. And one of our principles is as much as we can, we want to bring in people in our local community to help us. Yeah. So we build yep. relationships. Yeah. Rather I think than just get someone those... from a helping you. Those bridges, yeah, especially like agricultural communities, like people have been there for generations. Yeah. So in a way, you're yeah. sort of bringing healing too because there would have been some sort of trauma generations back between the lineages and then the descendants are coming together to say, hey, let's let's work together. We're both sort of in the same position here. <laughs> if we don't replenish the land, then we won't have any land. Um, so let's get cracking. Right. So um, going forward, we'll finish sort of on this note. What do you guys see? You mentioned about the Tri-State Alliance and like other Indigenous food growers. Like what do you see the future for, especially Indigenous people looking to have their own farms? Is it pretty positive? What's some of the advice you'd give to mob wanting to start out? Or I think it's going to take quite some time. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably have more success with um, the next generation down from me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but um, people who who are keen, like since we've been home, we've, we've managed to support um, numerous um, members of the community to buy their own home and, you know, and take that yep. leap. And um, so that's what we're looking to do with the, with the next generation in particular, to actually yep. take that leap um, and try and put in the support that, they're going to need going forward in terms of um, a business being compliant with all the things that could actually bring them down. Yeah. So um, we're, we're looking at that. We haven't actually resolved that bit yet, but yeah, I don't think it's a hard to resolve. We just need to find some money for it. Yeah. Because um, I've got a I've got a picture in my head what that will look like, um, but we just need to get. Um, family groups to actually decide to give it a go. Yeah, beautiful. I think, I think like you said, generational. Big, yeah. yeah. Well, one of our big challenges is, is we look around at the people that we employ, that we've got programs and we yep. we, can, we do, we are very successful in terms of um, attracting investors into our, into our community centre. Yeah. But we really run out of people. So we don't have enough people. Yeah. Um, wow. So we've actually just got a new program from the new south wales government where we call aspirations and leadership yeah we're going to support the building of aspirations and leadership into into our school system yeah so the kids coming in through the late primary and early secondary are actually supported to look at what their aspirations are and yeah. giving given opportunities to explore that so that we're actually because the education system itself can very easily knock people out um, yeah, definitely. And we're seeing that. So we have to address that. We have to address how we build strength in the yep. in the next generations coming through. Um, and if we look at Jeanette's family and her history, the strength was coming through that family um, from generations, but that's yeah. not in every family now. Um, yeah. And we've lost a lot of government, government policies of actually successively 
removed social structures. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's taken it away, taken away, taken away, taken away. And they're continuing to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think the the advantage or the, the positivity about moving in this economic space is it's a different language to a whole lot of other policy areas that we're working yeah, in. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So it gives, gives, it's almost like a breath of fresh air. Um, it allows yeah. us to start exploring things that we generally haven't been able to do in the past. Yeah, that's so well put. I think I, Uncle Barry Pierce from Culper Station, Mildura, got to spend time with, and he's the same thing. It was bringing people back to the farm and showing that there's a way of life that you could still have that your great great grandparents yeah. had before all the issues. Because my family were always working hard. So when people say, oh, blackfellas are lazy and all the stuff, all I knew was hardworking men on the rail or cutting cane. That's who I knew. I was t being told by the Migaloo that my my people are lazy. And I was like, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you were in yeah. like 10% 10, 10 of the AFL, 11% of the NRL. You know, where are we lazy? You know? yeah. <laughs> well, hang on. Yeah, like it's, it's that old saying, they work smarter, not harder. That's it. <laughs> I think uh, what David said about the systems, once they were taken, there was no incentive to work because we don't want the the house up in the hill and the white picket mm. fence. We don't want that. That is not what we want. We want to be back fishing, living, community, communal, cut murrays, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. It was interesting. One of the um, things that came through the research was looking at a, a explorer that was describing how he came across this, this young man fishing on the river and yep. he'd He'd attached this um, rope to his leg and it was also attached to a springer um, and then it was in the river. And when a fish um, was caught, the springer yep. would um, flip and bring the fish from the water to the bank and then pull his leg and that woke yep. him up so he could catch get the fish. <laughs> and the description was, how lazy is that? They're yeah, I think that's a lazy person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, typical, typical, not isn't it? Yeah. An amazing person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ingenuity of it all. That's it. And, and like the shearing history. The but David yeah. Unipin, the, yeah. the shearing mm. history, the mechanical shearer invented by uh, an Aboriginal man, you know, on a $50 note, all the history. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's right there. It's just that negative. And I think yeah. that was so sad you said about that young man who was high academic and he um, went fine. They just took him out of the mm. school. It's like, oh no, we can't have that. Can't have an educated black mm -hmm. like, fellow in both worlds. That'll be too much trouble for us down the road. So, um, and they start asking yeah, questions also, and prodding around. One of the other things that we deal in a rural community, well, any community, is finding our allies. Yeah. Okay. Finding the people that can travel with us because yep. we know that there's people out there that are working. Like we've, we've got one older farmer who will. Yep say terrible things about Aboriginal people. Yeah. Um, and every time we have a positive um, positive uh, story in the paper, um, if Jeanette's yeah. telling her story, he comes, he he will start saying terrible, terrible things. Oh, my gosh. About yeah. Aboriginal people. And, and yeah. we're saying to him, you know how offensive that is. And like Jeanette's family has has contributed and made a difference. Jeanette's got an Order of Australia for her yeah. contributions. It's she awesome. made a, what was it? Lifetime contribution to Aboriginal culture and heritage in New South Wales. That was the state That's award. Awesome. Yeah. You know, this is about contributing, and yet you have people running around trying to um, really be very nasty. In in yeah. the and these are non-Aboriginal people, but you yep. just go, 
we need to educate those that want to work with us and work walk alongside yeah, us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we need to help them um, communicate with the rest of the community. Yeah, that's such a good good example because yeah, I think a lot of our younger ones, it, the draw to the political arena can be so strong because people say one thing, yeah. others say the other, but you end up just getting frustrated and you, using your own energy over things you can't change. And one thing I had to learn, and my uncle, he was sort of our medicine man, and he turned into a pastor, and then he did a bit of um, local government stuff, and um, in Queensland, and. He was at the end of it. He's just like, you know what? You just go stick to your own business, look after your own family, yeah. um, and the rest will come. And yeah, find those allies that want to come along with you. Mm. Awesome. Thanks and, so much, guys. Oh, yeah, you keep going. Yeah. I was just going to say that we approach that and we approach these things with looking at the partners in our community that we yep. can bring along. And now we have what we call a voice to our local government. Um, That's beautiful. Which was fun yep. about saying, well, what are our mechanisms that we need at the local level? And we, we we just say, let's get on and be practical and do it. Um, yeah. But we, we're not invisible. But we are here and we, yeah. we are open to... Like, not going anywhere. <laughs> Have you had any yeah, people change their anywhere. minds? And those, so those old older established uh, rural communities, have you had any people change their mind over the time ago? You know what? Just Maybe recently, so my, our, daughter, our daughter has been delivering speeches at Invasion Day. Um, yeah on the stage with all the other people. And yep. there was a, a businessman who came up to us who's a farmer. He's in the Australian Rural Leadership Program. He's on the yep. board of the big irrigation company. And yep. he said to Laura, listen to what you said. I understand what you said. I agree with everything you said, but I'm feeling yep. uncomfortable. It's making yeah. me feel uncomfortable. Wow. wow. And then he said, and that's something I have to deal with, and yeah. just this last few weeks, he's decided to lead what he's calling a recognition walk yeah. in town yeah. that will go around some significant historical places and yeah. come back to have a, have a forum or have a discussion group. But yeah. he said, all I want you to do is turn up. I'll, yeah. I'm going to go, go through all my connections, all my places. I, 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 I have to do the work. So yeah. that, I think, is a demonstration of oh, the change. So good. It gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Yeah. Of our daughter really being very truthful in her speeches, yeah, um, which has an effect on people, and that that's a sign of a good speech. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's uh, some some ways to do it because you know uh, Nev Bonner uh, there in New South like try to go into their mm -hmm. system and build that goodwill, and it's been decades now, and there's still the same mindset, there's still the same stereotypes, there's still the same slurs on the yeah. AFL pitch or in the school or me on the weekend at a yeah. local soccer club, you know, there's still the same uh, issues. And sure. then we have to just blatantly say, okay, this makes you uncomfortable. Let's, let's explore why, mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of that asset base you have, inheritance you have, or the, the you know, privileges you have today came from the loss of others that were here before. And that's, of course, that's mm -hmm. uncomfortable, you know. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I, I, I mean, practically, it, it's actually just a truism it's a fact yeah <laughs> it's a fact get this, yeah. this inconvenient so truth Jeanette often <laughs> often says you could call this country we here in denny you can call it any number of names you want yeah it's never not going to be wamba wamba country yeah and there's an invitation for everybody to work together to look after this country yeah because it needs to support the population that's here 
Yeah, 100%. so it's not a it's not a one person's responsibility or one group's responsibility. It's yep. everybody's. That's and it. If they want to continue the lifestyle, they have to help look after country, or the or the country won't look won't allow them to have that lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. And you think of like Anzacs going off to war and our indigenous um, mm. veterans. They're thinking, "I'm fighting for Wemba Wemba. I'm fighting for Birugab. I'm fighting for yeah. Wurundjeri. I'm fighting for what I know is my mm. country back there." And you know, it's like today, it's mm. like we shed blood together for the same piece of dirt that we're arguing over and calling all the different names. <laughs> so we, we, we might as well just get along. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Well, I'm I would love to have you back eventually, like in a year or two, to see yeah. how you're going um, yeah. with the bees, yeah. the forestry. Um, if I have a herd of wallabies, can I bring them out to your farm as well? If I can lease some land for my, <laughs> <laughs> my pet project. No, our, uh, I, just, I love wallaby salami. It's our, probably the, my favourite. Yeah, our dog, has, our dog has taken up. Thinking she's a kangaroo. Um, uh, <laughs> they make our local mob. That, yeah. So she goes and sleeps uh, with them and all. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she's weirdo. And, oh. and the other thing before we finish is that Panjul Farm, Panjul, yep. is a word is a local word for Murray Cod. Yeah. And it's very close to the word for eagle and very close to the word for medicine man. So it's okay. it's it's a word that really talks about that high level space. Mm. And so that's yeah. that's what we've called our business. Um and yep. that's what we use to to promote. So yeah, beautiful. Awesome. I love the Murray. I think I'd, I've never, because I mean, saltwater man, I did realize how beautiful it is um, from down mm. Mildura all the way up to um, Albury Wodonga, mm. um, you know, because I'm used to seeing driving through the summer. So it didn't do it any justice. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's so dry out here, or dusty. Who would want to live out here from the beach? I think I've gone in the winter with the rain. And I was like, well, oh, wow, this at, is beautiful. If you look at the Murray Valley on a topo map, you'll see that it's like one gigantic delta. Yeah, okay. There are waterways yep. everywhere, and it's it's just stunning. And it's... it probably probably supported the highest intensity of Aboriginal people in the country. Yep. Um, thousands of years ago. Away from yeah, um, well. we've got we've yep. got you know, in, in northern Victoria we've got examples of stone houses, of eel traps, of yeah, all sorts of that. things. Yeah, so, so cool. people don't see that in that place but the other thing that's really interesting when you drive through here is we're right on the edge of the hay plain and yep. the hay plain is the flattest part of the world yeah wow so and the absolute planet so it's, yeah. it's an amazing sight to see the dawns and the sunsets um it's that's a so whole cool. different experience because it, because it's you see the curvature of the earth yep. you see this massive sky yeah um like it really is an experience mm. That's beautiful. I love how um, hearing pride of country from different people because I like to boast mm. about mine, but then here everyone's just like, no, nah, you've got to get out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this other one, like the pink lakes, there's like mob with the pink lakes and it's in their artwork. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that is so yeah. cool. Then I've seen a picture of like Esperance Beach. I was like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> um, all, the, all the Kimberleys, you know, and the mob up there. I, I might, what's, yeah. I don't know what the opposite of claustrophobic yeah. is, but I'll, I haven't been at Uluru yet, but I'm worried that I'll be too far in, inland. <laughs> and I'll be like, nah, I've got to get back. I've got to see the salt, you know. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thank you so much. Um, love your story. Okay. It's very Thanks inspiring. so much for your half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this, this usually happens, but I got you as a trick, No. Uh, we probably could have talked for another hour. 
So we could have had a tea yeah, break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah we'll touch yeah. base. Um, yeah, I'd love to get an update uh, in the future as well. And um, it sounds like your daughter's pretty switched yeah. on too, so maybe rope her in one day. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Very soon. Right Bye. Then. Bye. Bye.